This is the Silver City Church Podcast. Our prayer is you are edified by this content and that it refines your life in Christ. Visit us at silvercityky.com. From there, you can connect with us on social media, view our location and service time, and download our mobile app to stay all the more connected with us. If this content has been beneficial to you, please share it and give this show a high rating so more may hear the gospel of Christ. May you see God's will be done and kingdom come in your life. Back in the 1970s, there was an old game show that some of you in here probably grew up watching. I'm not saying anything about your age, but there was a game show called To Tell the Truth. All right, raise your hand if you remember this this game show. All right, there's your age. To Tell the Truth. It was like a... The, the symbol was like a like playing cards, wasn't it? Like some, some jacks or some kings or something like that. And if you grew up during this time period or have seen the old reruns like I did growing up on Game Show Network, the premise of the show was simple, very simple. You'd have three people who would step out in front of the camera and say, I'm so-and-so. Each would say the same name. And it would be someone that did something substantial, but under the surface like, I'm Zach Hill, and I created the typewriter. No, I'm Zach Hill, and I created the typewriter. Something like that. And the whole idea of the show was a contestant trying to ask questions and get down to the very nitty-gritty, Nacho Libre, to figure out who was the real person and who the two actors were. Today, we're going to be keyed into John's literary version of To Tell the Truth. May we have the right questions and right answers, for we do, in the scriptures. May we have ears to hear and eyes to see. Would you open your word with you to 1 John chapter 4, we'll be in verses 1 through 6 this morning. I cannot believe we're almost done with 1 John. This is crazy. I love it. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. God's word says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Thus says the living word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is clear. We thank you that it is alive and active. And would it be just that this morning? Would it cut us to the core and sew us back up so that we can be more and more like Jesus every single day? Would you let us receive with meekness the implanted word that is able to save our souls this morning, drawing us to repentance, drawing us to sanctification, and above all things, would you be glorified? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to our text this morning, this section is directly linked to the previous section of text that we read last week. If you remember, we ended our exhortation 
of confidence in the Lord, him giving us the Holy Spirit in 1 John 3, 23 through 24, which says this, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know, there's our indicator of our confidence, by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. We have this singular commandment that we believe in the person and work of Jesus and love one another. They are one commandment that we would marvel and walk in the truth of the perfect life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, who destroyed the works of the devil, bore our penalty of sin concerning the wrath of God while he was sinless, and rose on the third day that we may have eternal life, fellowship with God. This, this is what we are to believe in, this glorious truth lived out in love towards others in a self-sacrificing way. Amen. When we joyfully desire to keep this commandment, this, by this, we have proof that we are in fellowship with God. For God himself in the Holy Spirit indwells, lives within the Christian, causing him or her to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In the first verse of our text this morning, in 1 John 4, 1, the textual link is obvious. This isn't hopscotch. This isn't John going squirrel, like just a bunch of different stuff. It's linked. And we see the obvious link is what? The word spirit. The word spirit. We see John carried along by that same Holy Spirit, consciously writing about specific issues faced in the church during his lifetime and ours because they are timeless issues. Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead. Have you ever stopped to grasp the magnitude of that doctrine? That when God calls a person unto salvation, he takes up residence in them like a temple, progressively making them perfect, which they will be when they stand before him in glory to realize that they were temples, yet they were stones in a larger temple of all those who God would save. This, this is the great inheritance that Paul speaks about in Ephesians 1 and what Peter spoke about in First Peter 1 this morning in our assurance that God delights to look at his people as if they were a rich inheritance. God, who needs nothing, looks upon you, beloved, as if you were a trillion dollars in Bitcoin. That's what he does. And then he gives his people a down payment of their inheritance himself in the Holy Spirit. God makes this promise to you, dear beloved. Know this, that if he does not come through on what he has promised you, salvation to the uttermost, fellowship, joy, eternal life, he is willing to lose a part of himself. God is willing to stop being God for that. That God had not only willingly sacrificed the Son on your behalf, dear believer, your behalf, dear beloved, but he is willing to sacrifice even the Spirit 
to see you to the very end. Is this not sobering? Is this not awe-striking and majestic? That is the love of God, beloved. We carry, we carry the rich spirit of God within us. What we say, how we live our lives, it matters. It absolutely matters because we are billboards, walking, living billboards for the Spirit of God. What a glorious truth this is and how unfathomable it really is that the God of all creation would choose to come to you, a sinner, dead in their trespasses and sins, call you unto new life, and then live in you a broken down home, decrepit, in ruins, burnt out, soiled, and like the master carpenter he is, progressively fix you up from the inside out until when you stand before him in glory, you are but a room in your father's house and a glorious room at that. Amen. This morning, with this remarkable thought in mind, we need to realize John is presenting to us a presupposition, a presumption in the text that we so often miss when we just do our speed read challenge. I read the Bible. We miss this. Let's see if you can catch it. 1 John 4.1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Beloved, my dear ones, those who have the Holy Spirit, do not believe every spirit, but test them to see if they are from God. For many false prophets, false teachers, many false proclaimers of Christ have gone out into the world. Now, did you catch the presupposition there? Really subtle. John presupposes there is a spiritual unseen realm and a natural physical seen realm. John presupposes that there is a spirit of truth from God and a spirit of error, each manifesting itself in reality. Many in the modern church have been lulled lulled to sleep by what they believe to be scientific fact from people who are as ignorant as a rock. They have bought the lie of naturalism that all there is is material, physical stuff, which is simply a byproduct of the Big Bang and evolution. Faith is just something humans have to help them cope and to help them form community and carry on the genome and that garbage. Many in the modern church no longer accept the worldview that the Bible presents in its own right. No one hardly accepts that anymore. There is a spiritual realm unseen and a physical world that is seen. Notice in our text this morning that the false prophets, these false teachers who are proclaiming false doctrines or false teachings about Jesus are not just willy-nilly hopping about doing these things on their own. Like, oh, I've got a good idea. What about this? John says what? They are being led by a false spirit. As we will go on to see in verse 3, these false proclaimers are being guided by the spirit of Antichrist. Remember, we examined that a few weeks ago. Church, remember this. Just as there are two family trees with two fathers that each person belongs to, 
family tree of God or the family tree of Satan. There are two spirits that each person is controlled by, potentially. The Holy Spirit of God who manifests manifests himself publicly and in a multiplicity of ways, righteous ways in the life of the Christian, and an unholy spirit of the Antichrist, which is manifest in a multiplicity of unholy ways in the unbeliever. Both of these either overtly or covertly, in the main or behind the scenes. Remember, when we see Antichrist, we're not talking about the left behind stuff. We're talking about that which is anti, against, opposed to Christ, okay? Listen how Paul contrasts these two spirits. It's not just John, it's Paul. All the apostles of the New Testament were fighting against this. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3, 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. There's our two realms, right? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God, physical and spiritual working in tandem. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear within him, with him in glory. All right, here's the first spirit, the Holy Spirit. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. I'm sorry, the unholy spirit. Put to death this. This is the unholy spirit. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked. This used to be you, dear Christian, when you were living in them. But now you must put them away, all. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, like a robe of righteousness, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, scavian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, here's what you are, dear beloved. Here's the other spirit, the Holy Spirit. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, Uh uh-huh, right? and hymns, and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whenever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. There's our contrast. That's what the Holy Spirit and the unholy spirit looks like. So if there is a Holy Spirit from God who is God Himself, then where does this unholy spirit, antichrist spirit, come from? Where does it come from? What spiritual being is but the chief archetype of Antichrist? Self. Paul notes this in 2 Corinthians 4.4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This false ruler. The Christian worldview, how we are to live our lives and the lens we are to see everything through and process through 
is not pantheistic or panantheistic, where everything has the Spirit of God in it or is just the Spirit in general. Like the rock has a spirit, you're a God, I'm a God, the tree has a spirit, the meatball has a spirit, we all have a spirit, there it is, we're all God, you're God, we're all God, let's worship everything. Right? That's a Hinduism, that's spiritism. The biblical worldview, the true and only worldview with all other worldviews being false, displays a world that has spiritual and physical in this synergistic fashion, working together, all sovereignly controlled by God who works everything according to the counsel of his will. It is this truth that is pertinent for us in how we view the world. This is our lens. For if God, who is spirit, created all things, both visible and invisible, then all things necessarily are theological or about God based in him. We as physical beings are called to see with physical and spiritual eyes and hear with physical and spiritual ears because we are not merely material. We are spirit and physical. If we hear with our physical ears someone proclaiming to be a follower of Christ, but then process with our spiritual ears that what they're saying is not true, then we have come to be within the biblical worldview. That's what John is getting us to see this morning. If we are in God and he is in us in fellowship and communion and relationship in the truth of a proper understanding of the world guided by the Holy Spirit, what do we do then when we process these things and we meet those who claim the same, but they're way off base? What do we do? Verses two through three. By this, you know the spirit of God emphatic, you know. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. This is how you know with confidence, with boldness, every spirit which manifests itself through the physical in a person that confesses Jesus Christ Come in the flesh is from God, meaning that person is displaying the singular Holy Spirit within them, the same Holy Spirit that fills himself without dividing himself into every single believer. But if the Spirit manifests in the physical through someone proclaiming something, denies this fact of Jesus come in the flesh, that's Antichrist. It's against Christ. It's from the world, in rebellion against its maker, lawless, evil, vile, sin. At first glance, that's pretty easy to understand. And it is a true statement. But it would be naive of us to think that this is the only qualification to the test of whether someone be saved or has the Holy Spirit. You know, 1 John acts as this giant self-test. That's the whole purpose of us going through 1 John. So we go through these things to have assurance and be convicted if we truly be in the faith. And it's a glorious, good self-test. And here we have another self-test, proclaiming Jesus come in the flesh. But if we just take this out of the context of all the other questions that John has put before us, and this is the only thing we test by, man, we're going to end up in left field. Remember, the key principle to all proper biblical interpretation is what? Context, context, context. 
The context right here is John battling and bolstering a false teaching of all kinds of varieties. See, based upon our study of 1 John so far, we've been keyed into what some of these false teachings were, most likely Gnosticism. But remember, this is kind of what John's been battling. There is no sin. Man is perfect. No need of a sacrifice. True knowledge is outside the church with a secret few. And now added to this, Jesus did not come in the flesh. This sounds like material worldview that is so prevalent today. Why do you need a sacrifice? You don't, there is no such thing as sin. Enjoy, live your best life now, dear friend, however you want. Right? This denunciation of Christ come in the flesh, it eventually developed into two separate but related heresies. And heresy just means false teaching, wrong, heretical, against truth in the same time period all within this kind of umbrella of Gnosticism. The first one was a denial of Jesus in the flesh, known as docetism, which means to appear. Docetism. In short, is a false teaching that it only appeared that Jesus had a physical body. He was just all spirit. He was like this great illusion. Like, ooh, look. Like a physical body. Look, up, psych, not really. But he was all spirit. The opposite, but related, was called Ebionism, which taught Jesus was only a man, and the Holy Spirit just kind of rested on him while he was in his ministry, and that's what made him holy, but not eternal. So contextually, John is on the defensive against this antichrist spirit of false teaching. John is giving a clear example of a pressing issue in his day, and of ours, that must be addressed concerning who Christ is. But here's the point. We can't get bogged down on, well, if anybody says that, then, then they're good to go. He's not giving us an exhaustive confession. That's the point. He's not giving us a, all right, here's 15 confessions and steps that you need to school people on and make sure that you're in it. That's not the point. Our text this morning is calling us to have discernment in the times and we live in. Discernment, if you don't know what that is, is awareness given by the wisdom of God in his word through communion with him. If there are many false prophets or false teachers, and John says there are and there are, who have gone out into the world, being from the world, who try and draw away even the elect of God, his people, his beloved, then that means there are many filters we must use to discern what they are teaching. Remember the world in our context here, is all that is against God, that sinful system of rebellion against the creator that comes in a variety of manifestations. Remember that from 1 John 2, 15 through 17, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, boastful pride of life. The false teachers in that world, in the system, are from the world. They're from that rebellion. They're birthed out of lawlessness. And what must we remember concerning this worldly system? of sin and lawlessness. James tells us in James 4.4, 4, do, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Dark. Dear ones, beloved, the overarching point John is pressing right here still holds fast today. There are many who proclaim to be Christians, but based upon what they believe and based upon how they live and what they propagate, 
proved themselves to be antichrist and proved themselves to be misled or even controlled by demonic spirits. I want to give you some clear examples of this today. But before I do, I want to make something very clear. Okay, False teaching concerning the fundamental skeletal structure of Christianity is what is at stake right here. Remember when we went through the Apostles' Creed in the summer? It's that. What is not at stake here is intramural debates about various traditions or ways of applying Scripture that we need not divide over. An example of what this is not, what this is not is this, the type of church government a particular body employs, right? You've got three, Presbyterian, elder-driven, right? Episcopal, top-down, or congregational, which is like democratic. Everybody gets a vote. Obviously, Presbyterian is correct because that's what we are, right? Yeah, right? That's what the scriptures teach consistently. But there are cases where it seems like a top-down style was implemented for a time. Also, times we see that there was like a democratic style when a church really got in dire straits and needed to come together and vote on what to do. Nevertheless, if, if a good old Presbyterian and a Baptist church down the road is congregational, Presbyterian church doesn't go, they're false teachers. Set it up. Run the church. Do effective ministry. That's not false. That's the brother and sister in their father's house saying, why'd you paint that room that color like we talked about a few weeks ago? That's not false teaching. Timing and mode of baptism, eschatology, dating the book of Revelation. Who wrote Hebrews? I think it was Apollos. I think it was Paul. I think it was... That's not false teaching. That's intermural debate that we can have with charity. False teaching, heresy, Incorrect doctrine outside the bounds of historic Christianity as displayed in the Bible, worked out through confessions and creeds like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and the Westminster Confession, all of these things, that's what we have to watch through. I want to give you some examples of the spirit of the Antichrist that are sly and cunning, just like the serpent, and are from the world speaking to the world for the world's approval, denying Christ but in subtle ways, very subtle ways, leading to substantial results in sin and falsity. Remember this, all false teachers speak some truth. If they just spewed pure garbage all the time, they'd never get a following. I'm going to give you four this morning. Really an even number, but odd for sermons. First one is this, the prosperity gospel. This is a false teaching, and it is demonic. Propagators of this false teaching, which denies orthodox Christianity, would be men and women. I'm going to name names. Kenneth Copeland, who I genuinely believe is demonic, who's demon-possessed. Kenneth Copeland, Todd White, Joyce Meyer, Kenneth Hagen, Robert Murdoch, Stephen Furtick. You know Stephen Furtick with his big biceps and skinny jeans. Let me pause and say virtually every teacher that's on TBN or God TV. 99%, 99%, there might be 1% on there, with the crown prince being your favorite big perm hair, white chiclet teeth, little Texan, Joe Austin. They are false teachers. These teachers proclaim to believe in Christ, but deny the true gospel. They believe Jesus died for sin in some general way, but because we are that special, We are that 
amazing in God's sight. If God had a refrigerator, he'd put your picture on it with a little magnet. That's what they teach. And that God just wants to give us stuff. Like we're a bunch of bratty kids and God is a rich dad. Believe in Jesus. And if you want that Lexus, pray for it. He'll give you that Lexus. He'll give you that raise. And if you didn't get it, it's because you didn't have enough faith and you didn't give enough money to my ministry. Sow your seed offering of $1,000 and we'll give you this little handkerchief that I wiped my sweat with from the Holy Land. Really? Yeah, really. There are hundreds of thousands of people that simply eat this up and buy it. These teachers need to repent, resign, give back all the money they've conned people out of and sit in a local congregation the rest of their life doing nothing but hearing the word of God taught. They need to do that. Another false teaching would be that of the canonic Christ. This one's gained a lot of traction recently thanks to a guy named Bill Johnson and the charismatic powerhouse known as Bethel. Bill Johnson and crew at Bethel, which are connected to a lot of your charismatic teachers who, shocker, usually all fall within this same prosperity gospel camp. Bill Johnson and Bethel teach an old but new form of, of Ebionism that we just talked about a minute ago. Kenotic Christ. Kenosis, Greek word just simply means that Jesus emptied himself of all of his divinity that he had in eternity. He just became a man and he was doing this not to save you, but to show you what you could potentially do. Hear how dangerous that is? He emptied himself of all of his divinity just to show you what a true human could do. So all the healings, all the miracles, all of that stuff was not him proving that he was God in the flesh as the Old Testament said the Messiah would do, but rather these signs were examples of what we could do if we just had enough faith. The destructive heresy of this is a cancer that infects the general populace, not because Bill Johnson is so popular, but because Bethel music is. How many of you have ever heard of Bill Johnson? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have heard of Bethel music? Every hand. Bethel music, I'm going on record saying this, Bethel music is the most dangerous movement in Christianity in the past 20 years. Why? Because I've heard Bethel songs that are solid and sing about Jesus dying on the cross and his resurrection and his kingship and the defeat of death. They're catchy and they are good musicians. But I've also heard many more that are all about the glorification of self. Whatever the content of the song is, the source is the issue. Music is a teaching tool. Music is a universal language. You experience this very fact each week here at Silver City when we sing psalms out of God's word, the true source, right? If we have a song that's produced from a church, you eventually see on social media, the pastor of that church that you love that music of, I love all that Bethel music. Oh, there's a little clip of their pastor. I love their music, so I bet I'll love his preaching too. See how this goes together? This is why we will never sing Bethel, we will never sing Hillsong, we will never sing Elevation, anything like that in this church because they all are false teachers. There are many churches around here that sing songs from these groups. And the common justification is, well, we sing the ones that are true and sing them with joy. Well, 
that may be true of your heart and pastor who lets that happen, but you're giving free license for your congregation to undermine all the solid preaching you give them because they chase the high of the music and end up at the source listening and reading those false teaching pastors. And then you wonder why your congregation is so jacked up with a buffet of beliefs. It's not coming from your preaching. It's coming from your lack of spine to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that we just read about in Colossians that is from sources that aren't connected to powerhouse false teachers. Doesn't matter if you want a concert experience. You're giving the people truth. Do you want to give them poison or do you want to give them green grass and cool waters like Psalm 23 says? Number three, third false teaching. This one's shorter. Mormonism. Mormons aren't Christians, full stop. Mormons aren't Christians. They do not believe Jesus is fully divine. They will say they are Christians, but their false religion was formed by a con artist named Joseph Smith, who believed an angel appeared to him, gave him some secret tablets that only he could look at if he put him in a hat and believed that Jesus came to America and that the Garden of Eden was in Missouri. But they have a really nice choir, don't they? The only thing nice they'll say about them. And Mitt Romney has nice hair. Lastly, progressive Christianity. What's this? It's a multi-headed beast, a hydra. That comes out first slowly by denying certain parts of Scripture. Oh, oh women, women can be pastors. Right? There's no male or female in Christ. Haven't you read Galatians? What Paul said about not permitting a woman to teach and elders only being men, that was just, that was just cultural. That was just cultural. The number one sign a church is going down a dangerous path and has succumbed to a false spirit is female pastors. There is an order in creation. There is an order in the church. That does not mean women are of, of less value. But men, no matter what CNN tells you, you cannot bear children. Women have a role of their own. Men do too. God has given an order. Because you know what that opens the door up to? Female pastors, I like to call them uh, Halloween costumes. Well, if there's no male or female in Christ, then gender and sexuality don't really matter, right? We just love whoever we want and love however we want to. Boy, I just love my gay, non-binary, dog fetish pastor. He's so loving. You laugh, but you've seen it. The Methodist Church, the Presbyterian USA Church, the Episcopal Church, good Lord. It's in every denomination because it's not about denominations. It's about not testing the spirits. Jesus come in the flesh. Jesus come in the flesh is only one part of our confession. And this is why it's only one part. For even demons proclaim Christ come in the flesh. Mark 5, 7 Jesus calms a storm with his word of his mouth and they get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and they're confronted immediately by a demonic man, a man that has a legion of demons in him in the land of the Gadarenes. And listen to what this demonic man says. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. That was the confession, not of a disciple, not of a sinner, but of a demon and a thousand of them at that. 
my friends, a spiritual force, a legion of demons manifesting itself in the flesh of a man who lived among tombs and the land of the Gadarenes, proclaiming Jesus as Lord, come in the flesh? Not all who proclaim Christ are of Christ. Some are demonic. Beloved, we must test every spirit, every profession, every confession of those who claim to teach the scriptures and those who follow them in their teachings. How? By the scriptures. If we test these spirits and come out the other side saying, yeah, I, I disagree with this. I have a different take. It's a little gray area, but it's well within the bounds of scripture. Oh, false. You can agree to disagree on things that are secret that the Lord has not revealed or that you have a different take on. It's okay. But if you come out the other side with a different Jesus, a different gospel, a different purpose for humanity, a different standard of sin, or a flat-out denial of Jesus, the Father, the Trinity, sin, biblical sexuality, the cross, holiness, etc., then you've got yourself a spirit of Antichrist. 2 Corinthians 11.4, Paul's dealing with this in Corinth. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel, from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. If we blindly accept everything that calls itself Christian, ironically, as Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 11.4, we exert massive amounts of energy accepting everything, like a big whale just sucking everything in, rather than exerting all that energy to defend the true faith. We put up with it readily enough. Paul says in Galatians 1, this type of thinking is damnable. It, it is send you to hell style issue. Some false teachings are blatantly obvious. Sickness and difficulties as a sign of disapproval from the Lord. And a true never, Christian never gets sick. True Christian, ne- true believer never gets sick. This is a big one of Bill Johnson who wears eyeglasses while he says that. God sends sickness on people throughout the scriptures, even his people to chastise them or to discipline them. Ever read the book of Job? Job was righteous. Timothy had a stomach problem. He was righteous. Others are harder to catch because Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. But what are we to do when we encounter false teachings or we suspect that we're encountering one? 1 John 4, 4 through 6, the rest of our text. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. That is the false teachers. For he, excuse me, who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Who is in you? The Holy Spirit. They, the false teachers, are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth the spirit of error. When we stick to the scriptures, we overcome those false teachers and the demonic forces behind them. For he who is in us, he, the Holy Spirit, is not an it, is a he. He is a he, not an it. The Holy Spirit, he is greater than he who is in the world, Satan, the chief antichrist. You see, when we ourselves in our modern times would rather listen to hype messages with, you know, Stephen Furtick in his little mic, and he's like, doing this, and he's flexing all over. When we want that, because we want the hype, because we've had a bad week, 
and we don't want to go to the scriptures and repent of our sins, but we want somebody to hype us up with entertainment and a little encouragement. We don't take the Bible and read it for ourselves, or we do, but it's in this little bite-sized form in a devotional that has nothing to do with the original context. And you get some positive Caleb fortune cookie. Really? You're being led astray. Beloved, the apostles, the men who God carried along to write the New Testament and build off of the foundation of the Old Testament prophets, men who Jesus chose like Paul and John and Peter, they are from God. That's what John's saying. We are from God. We, you, are their children when you abide in the scriptures. If we refuse to be in the word, listening to the prophets and the apostles, we prove to be of the spirit of error. We are like Proverbs 18.1. The man who, who isolates himself breaks out against all sound judgment. We put up with everything readily enough. If we are not for him, in truth, we are against him, no matter how sincere we are and no matter how many of those goofy lifeway t-shirts you bought with like pick Jesus on it we have in our closet. Here's your self-examination question this morning as we close. How do I know I have the Holy Spirit within me? How do I know that I have the Holy Spirit within me? All right, let, let me ask you some rhetorical questions. Do you desire, crave to be in the Word of God? Do you desire to be in prayer, even if it's not perfectly like we talked about last week? Do you desire this? Do you desire for fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you desire to hate your sin and become more and more righteous each day? Do you desire to proclaim Jesus as Lord to everyone you know? Do you hear those who claim to be fellow Christians, Christians and, and, and then in wisdom filter what they say through the scriptures to see if they are sheep or wolves dressed as such? Yes? Then rest assured, have confidence bold joy, clean conscience that we talked about last week, that you are a child of God guided by the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. But if you think everyone is on the same team and you've got all of Joel Olstein's books right next to all of R.C. Sproul's books and you say, I love them all, you're being nervous. Beloved, my dear ones, the main idea I want you to take home today is this. Here's your big, bold text. There is such a thing as the sin of belief. Belief can be just as much of a sin as unbelief. Belief can be just as much of a sin as unbelief. Right here, just as in 1 John 2, 18 through 27, protection against falsehood and victory over it are ascribed both to the objective standard of doctrine and the indwelling spirit who illuminates our minds to grasp it in the word. We are not to believe every single thing. And just because we have the scriptures on every table in our house and read them diligently doesn't automatically mean you'll have all the right answers. Why? Because as John Calvin famously said, Unless the spirit of wisdom is present, there is little or no profit in having God's word in our hands. You do realize that Satan quoted Psalm 91 verbatim to Jesus when he tempted him in the wilderness. You can have the word of God and be demonic. May it not be so for you. Beloved, there is a difference between being a skeptic and being discerning. 
A skeptic wants to believe nothing and finds excitement questioning everything like his father Satan, the accuser. The one of discernment simply wants to know the truth and filters everything they think, they hear, and that they know through the scriptures. For they know that the scriptures are the truth of God, giving light to the physical and spiritual. May he give you eyes to see and ears to hear, beloved. May you be guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Grace and peace to you.